Well, good morning, everyone. And good morning to those watching online. Uh, thank you for viewing our service this morning. And thank you, Joe, uh, for giving me the opportunity. Um, <clears throat> I appreciate it. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be now and always acceptable to you, Lord God, our strength and our Redeemer. When I was growing up and attending church, so often the sermons would always begin with, my text this morning is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 17, and the verse is verse 3. And by then I sort of had slumped down and thought, I wonder how long this is going to be. <laughs> Some of you can remember that? Hmm? Yes, thank you. Good, yes. Well, that's great because <laughs> my text this morning is taken from John chapter 17, verse 3. There we are. You didn't slink down and appear, did you, Aaron? And look at your watch. No. So what does that verse say? This is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life. From where does life come? From God, of course, as he created everything, including human beings, beginning with Adam and Eve. He created man, male and female, he created them, Genesis 1:27. They were to enjoy all that God had created and the life they had must have been of an eternal quality because this quality of life was lost spiritually and physically when they disobeyed God and their quality of life deteriorated to mortality. This ends in death as the only way out of this lower form of life which we all now inherit. Death is the absolute statistic, one out of one. However, God did not want this inferior quality of life to be all there was to living. His life is eternal. So if human beings can align their life with God's life, will not they too begin to experience eternal life? To know you, the only true God. To know is more than possessing knowledge of some facts or possessing certain information. It is to have an active enjoyment of fellowship with the person and in this instance with the one true God. We have the scriptures where there is information and he is the one with whom we can enjoy a relationship of fellowship because God is a relational being. He has chosen us before we have chosen him. Our experience of knowing God is our response to his knowing us. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, 
I knew you, Jeremiah 1.5. He has such an intimate and personal knowledge of us that it is so fulfilling when we realise that God wants us to know him in a personal way. This is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. How can we know God? Only through Jesus Christ. And this is how we can see and understand the nature and the character of God himself. We're approaching Christmas, and the carol service is on the lawn this evening. And the way God chose to become one of us is surely the greatest Christmas gift of all time. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. How better way to understand God than to see him in flesh and blood? To do this, Christ was born of Mary in a humble and perhaps smelly stable to begin his revelation. Jesus became a man, learnt a trade, then began his ministry about the kingdom of God. This culminated in his being denied, rejected to the point of execution as a criminal by crucifixion. To do for us what we could not do for ourselves. To become a holy sacrifice offered to a holy God for our sins and to take upon himself the wrath of God for the punishment of our sins. His life was faultless and offered voluntarily for your sake and mine. Through this sacrifice, we now can have our sins forgiven and not only our guilt dealt with, but any shame associated with them. Now this is important because I wonder how many people can accept the guilt being dealt with but still languish in some shame because of what they did or did not do that they should have. Does this shame make it difficult to forgive themselves? When we realise that Christ is saying to us, after we truly repent and are sorry, your sins are forgiven. Who then are we not to forgive ourselves? Of course, there can be consequences that may have to be dealt with, but that does not mean you have to live with the shame. Christ's forgiveness takes both away, so claim the total package of forgiveness and do not languish in any shame. Isaiah 1.18, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And when you open the fleece on the back of a sheep's back, there you see how white wool is. Christ has wiped the slate clean. Except John 8 verse 36, when the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. So accept and enjoy the total package of Christ's forgiveness. For this is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He is the only true God. Muhammad lived, died, and he's still dead. Buddha lived, died, he's still dead. Confucius the same. 
Christ lived, died, and swoosh, up from the grave he arose <coughs> to show he is stronger than death and his sacrifice was accepted by God the Father. So by putting our trust in Christ and aligning our life with his, by accepting him as our Lord and Saviour, we enter into his life. This is eternal life and this begins here and now. This is the only real way to face death with our life and Christ being one. It's the only way of entering heaven as Christ is, if you like, our passport and visa. A man told his wife he was going to take some money with him when he died. So he placed some money in a bag and left it in the attic. He said he'd collect it as he passed by. Not long after he died, the wife was in the attic, saw the bag of money still there, said to herself, I knew he should have put it in the basement. <laughs> That's it, isn't it? It's up or down, heaven or hell. But God wants us to share heaven with him. We can only do it by accepting what Christ has done for us. It's no use hoping that our good will outweigh our bad and therefore we will make it to heaven. If this was so, there was no need for Christ to go through the agony of suffering he did on the cross. No, he is the only way and God yearns for us to accept all he has done for us in Christ. For this is eternal life to know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. During those 60 years since my ordination, I have looked upon that verse as a foundational verse of my ministry. To live it out, God has had to deal with me at times and is still dealing with me. He doesn't give up on slow learners, so be encouraged. And he had to show me where I need to measure up. Justification is what God has done for us in Christ. His unconditional love accepts us as we are. But he does not want to leave us as we are. Sanctification is what God does in us by his Holy Spirit. As we remember, God is not against us for our sins. He's for us against our sins. Not against us for our sins, but for us, against our sins. Now we come to a time of reminiscing. We're in my theological college at Morpeth in the Hunter Valley in the middle of 1961. I was in my second year of a three-year diploma course and was having difficulty with Christology, the theological term for Christ's relationship of his divinity to his humanity. I said one day to some of the students, this Christology has given me a headache. One student asked if I thought it was a divine headache. I told him he could call it what he liked, but I still needed a Panadol. <laughs> then in church history, the early heresies I found confusing. 
Now each Friday night, we would have a devotional talk in the college chapel after the late evening service called Compline. Everyone had left and I was alone in the chapel. I began to tell God my difficulty I was having with these, these studies. I said, I know you had difficulty getting me here because I did a Moses. I was telling God why I shouldn't do what he wanted me to do and ended up saying the same as Moses. Well, go and get someone else. But you see, God perseveres. And so I was able to say, I know you had difficulty getting me here, but can I ask again, is it what you really want me to do? I had a wonderful sensation as though Jesus came and sat beside me and said, John, what do you know about me? I said, well, you are the saviour of the world and therefore my saviour, which I accept. You are Lord and I've accepted you as Lord of my life. And I was verbalising these truths in an audible voice to myself. And if anyone sitting beside me would hear what I was saying, <clears throat> then it was though Jesus said to me, well, John, with that foundation, continue your studies. This was such a lovely personal encounter with Christ. I think I floated out of the chapel that night and the tension about my studies vanished. Now those of you who are like me and have always been in the church are thrilled when we hear of those who have nothing to do with the church or Jesus Christ. Then suddenly something happens when they hear the truth about Christ and they give their life to the Lord. However, we on the other hand, having been in a church all our life, still need to hear ourselves say in an audible voice the truths about Christ being our Lord and Saviour. Tell him you accept them and want him in your life. It is essential for us to do it and if you have never done it, please do it before you go to bed tonight. And for all those who like me have grown up in the life of the church. This is eternal life, to know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now we're in Orange sometime in 1964. June and I were not married yet and she lived in Bathurst. When I returned to Orange on my day off, I saw the lights were on in the church, so I investigated. There was the rector sitting with this man When he saw me, he told me to come and sit with this man while he went and rang for his doctor. I found out later it was a psychologist. I sat on the end of the pew with this fellow where he was seated and then he said to let him out as the urge was coming on again. I said, no, no, you stay here. And what's his urge? He said, I want to kill someone. And he was saying, God help me. And I thought, if you wanted to get past me, you didn't have me in mind, so I thought I was safe. <laughs> I said to him, don't say God help me, but say Jesus Christ help me. But he wouldn't until finally he said, Jesus Christ help me. Then he collapsed down between the seat and the pew in front of him. 
The rector and I helped him back onto the seat and he said with a smile on his face, the urge is gone. I told him this was because he used the name of Jesus Christ because there is power in his name like no other name. I knew that, but it was sure great to see it in action. Many years later, we're now in Peak Hill, perhaps the early 80s. I had a good relationship with David, who was the pastor of the small Assembly of God Church there. He said he'd arranged for a travelling evangelist to come to Peak Hill. This fellow had a semi-trailer truck, and when he stops, he unloads the chairs he has on his truck, sets up his amplifiers, and preaches from the back of the truck. He is supported by some Aboriginal Christian singers and some supporters who travel with him. David had permission for the truck to come onto a small park in Peak Hill and would I take it in turns with him to introduce the evangelist during the nights he was there. I said, certainly, but I sure found a difference standing on the back of a semi-trailer truck talking out in the open than the confines of a church building. I sat and listened to the evangelist preach. But every now and then, one of his supporters would say, Hallelujah! And then, Praise the Lord! And a bit long, Amen, brother! I found this irritating. And I thought, I wish you'd keep quiet in the best of my conservative Anglican tradition. When the sermon had finished, the evangelist asked Alma to come and give her testimony. <laughs> well, who do you think was Alma? Yeah, the Alleluia praise the Lord woman. And the more Alma said about her life, the worse I felt. Alma had been into everything. She'd been a prostitute. She'd stolen. She'd been in prison. She'd taken drugs. And then she said, and Jesus came and rescued me from the gutter. I was so ashamed of my attitude. I confessed it there. And there I sensed Jesus reminding me, John, no one is beyond the love and the mercy of God. Some may think God is no longer interested in them because I have turned away from him. Not so. No one is beyond the love and the mercy of God. So never give up on those for whom we are praying to come into the kingdom of God. For this is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Let us now return to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is in anguish over what he has to face. He prays not standing or kneeling, but falls on his face, saying, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not once, not twice, three times he does this, with the first of the prayer not being answered as he knows he must do the will of his Father. Such is his anguish that his sweat becomes like drops of blood. 
Can you imagine this sight? And then hear the quiet voice of God saying, this is what it costs to love you. At the crucifixion, can you imagine looking at the crucified body of Jesus and asking, have you done this for me? And hear the answer, yes, I have done this for you. Doesn't this require, no, demand a response from us? For this is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let us use our imagination once again. And I love to use my imagination when reading the Gospels. Imagine you're there, what were the reaction of the people and so on. And we see Jesus sitting with his disciples at the end of the day and he throws in a question. Who do people say I am? And can you hear the various responses? Oh, some say you're one of the prophets. Yeah, that's pretty common. But what about Elijah? I think that's uh, who Jesus is. Yeah, but don't forget others saying John the Baptist. And then someone pipes up and says, I heard the other day they thought Jesus was Jeremiah. Oh, did you? Where did you hear that? I never heard that. Well, I don't know where it was, but... uh, And so, in my imagination, um, Jesus allows the conversation to continue for a little. And then he drops in the clangor. But who do you say I am? And then Peter replies, you are the Christ, son of the living God. There is not a more pertinent and penetrating question for all of humanity than the one Jesus asks about himself and it must be answered. Has this question been answered yet? If it has already been answered, then do so again to reaffirm your faith. Now when we have responded to Christ, he calls us to different types of ministry, which is to serve the spiritual and at times other needs of people. What kind of ministry is it? One of service. And these words sum up what Jesus expects of any ministry in his name. And Jesus took a towel. Can you imagine the shock and the horror of the disciples to see Jesus washing their feet? Yet this was the example he gave to show the essence of any ministry in his name. And Jesus took a towel. A a ministry of service to others. Here's a quote. He came not to a throne but to a manger. He lived not as a king but as a servant. He chose not a kingdom but a cross. He gave not just a little but everything to offer us eternal life. Sixty years since my ordination. For 54 of those years, June was with me as my wife. I hate to think of the boo-boos I would have made without her wise counsel, ability to sum up people, her support, encouragement, and when needed, criticism. I'll never forget her comment after services one Sunday in the Ralston Candos Parish. Well, you did not spend much time preparing that sermon. 
I think it's the worst I've ever heard. So in future, make sure you give adequate time for preparation. I took June's advice and was never again confronted with those comments. Hallelujah. <laughs> I remember one other occasion at Christmas in the parish, money was given in memory of loved ones so white gladiolis could be bought at the markets. Only being a small church, I thought it looked anemic. And I said to June, I think I'll cut some flowers off that Christmas bush that's in front of the rectory and stick them in amongst the gladiolis. I mean, that would be appropriate, wouldn't it? Christmas bush on Christmas Day. June just shook her head and reminded me how seriously the women took in arranging flowers. You'll upset them and possibly get into an argument. If you're going to argue with parishioners, John, don't you think it should be over something more important than flowers? Yes, June, you're right. So the Christmas bush stayed as it was. It is so wonderful to have your wife with you, even behind you, alongside of you, supporting you in many ways, and I still miss June. When I see what she's written in her Bible and so much other material she has written, she certainly loved God. To think that someone like June could fall in love with me, I wonder if it was almost a miracle. I regularly thank God for having June beside me during my ministry. Now, I know you should not relate to others what has happened to you, <laughs> but I'm going to do it. Now, I mean, look at these three fellows here in our ministry team, Doe and David and Adam, just ordinary blokes, and then look at who they've married. Such wonderful, lovely, marvellous women with Alison, Edwina and Trudy. Do you think that too could be almost a miracle? <laughs> that these such fine women fell in love with these blokes. Well, now, why do I say this? Because I wonder if not enough prayers are said for the wives of those men in ministry. So, when you pray for Joe, include Alison, David, Edwina and Adam Trudy. Because these women are doing much behind the scenes that you don't know about nor need to know about in order to keep the respective husband up front in his ministry. And don't forget what I just said. Now why only Jesus? This is what David Watson wrote nearly 50 years ago in his book, How to Find God. Why only Jesus? Because no one else has claimed to be the Son of God and has justified his claims in every way. Because no one else has died for the sins of the world making it possible for us to be absolutely forgiven because no one else has risen from the dead. No one else can give you any hope in the face of death because no one else can give you a living relationship with God himself. As recorded in Acts 4 verse 12, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given by whom we must be saved. For this is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, 
and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now you've heard me repeat that verse a few times. Come on, say it with me now. Ready? This is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And amen. The hymn we're going to sing now is To God Be the Glory. And the hymn at the end, looking to the future, Be There My Vision. These were two of June's favourite hymns and we sang them at her funeral. So, come on, stand on your feet and make a joyful noise to the Lord. 